You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. All right, Luke 12 is where you're going to need to be, so if you want to go ahead and open your Bible there. And if you need a Bible, feel free to grab one of those underneath your seat. Um, we've got one underneath every, maybe three or four seats, something like that. So feel free to turn to Luke 12. It would really be beneficial for you to have one in your lap there. And just to remind you, uh, two things real quick. If you're a visitor, uh, if you'll make sure you grab one of those guest cards underneath your seat and fill one of those out. At the end of the service, we'll pass around a, a little basket. And that would be the only thing we'd like back from you today. And so um, if you'll make sure you do that for us, it'll help us serve you along the way. And so that would be great. And then just uh, to remind everyone that we've switched the kind of the order of our worship where we're doing uh, preaching first and then we're going to sing in response to that at the end of our service. So um, that's what's on the way. Um, Okay, so uh, last week I introduced um, where we are on a big family issue. And I know that anytime I do that on a Sunday morning, there's probably at least a quarter of our people that aren't there on that particular morning. So I want to make sure we spend two weeks just making sure everyone is up to date and aware of where we are on a piece of property that we are looking at purchasing. And so, uh, and, and really this is a, a covenant membership issue. It's a church family issue. And if you are uh, visiting for the first time or uh, you're not a part of the covenant family, um, you're welcome to listen in over that. Um, we'd love for you to, to just be aware of what's kind of happening in our church family as well. But this is specifically to the, the Stonegate family. Uh, a couple of months ago, we came across a piece of land on the corner of 14th and George Hopper, the northeast corner across from Frank Sill that uh, we began to pray over a couple of months ago. We did a family meeting where we introduced it and allowed you guys to start praying over that, give you some time, a couple of months to express any concerns or to affirm it either side of that and uh, to do all the due diligence on that piece of property. And I think we're to a point now where we can affirm that we feel like God has confirmed to us that this is the direction that we're to go in buying this piece of, of property. And so that means next month we're going to write an $800,000 check and pay cash for, uh, um, for the land. And so in light of that, here, here's what we wanted all of our church family to be praying for is over the next three months, um, we, we would love for you to consider what extraordinary generosity might look like in your family. And so what we're praying that God would, would give us a chance now to help replenish some of what we're spending, because we know as we look down the road, we're going to have future moves with facilities because we can't rent anything in Midlothian for the long haul. So we're going to be in the, in the, that position of having to move out of a place like this into something that is a little more permanent. And so we want to make sure we prepare now for that. We told you all along that we're a no debt, low debt people, which means if we want to be low debt, no debt in four or five years, whenever we're going to move, um, that we've got to start working really hard now for that. And so we view the next three months as a real strategic moment to be able to prepare for that step that's coming down the road for us. And so in light of that, we just want you to be able to ask the question before your family and your finances and God, what would the next three months, June, July, and August look like um, for extraordinary generosity. Um, so maybe you could think of it this way. What would it look like for us to joyfully and sacrificially give for these, for these three months? And that sacrificial piece is really important. If we're going to be a low debt, no debt people, it's going to mean that our church family all has to really be committed to that. And that's going to mean we're all have to be a part of sacrificing now to make that happen. And so we want you to get before God with that question. We're, we're totally content with however the spirit of God leads you in that. And, and with that, we want to invite you to start praying with us that God would use the next three months to replenish much of what we're spending um, next month as we write this check for the piece of property. Okay, so now, I, I, in light of all that, I want to preface the series that we're in. I want to do this one more time this morning. So I'm, I just told you that we're asking you to get before God for extraordinary generosity for the next three months. And uh, on the same day we introduced that last week, we actually started a series called Gospel, Greed, and Generosity, where we're just trying to survey some of what the Bible says on money and possessions. 
And so, um, and, and so last week I told you that, that we, we planned this series nine months ago, which was seven months before we ever knew anything about this piece of property. And so um, I, I said last week, just in joking, that it's almost like God is sovereign or something, you know, to where uh, um, I, I think ultimately what God is doing is he's orchestrated a moment where we're going to get good teaching on money and possessions, and at the same time going to give us a tangible way to express some of that teaching. And so I think that's in the sovereignty of God what he's doing, but I, that makes me a little bit nervous because here's what I, I don't want to be confusing. I don't want you to be confused on my motives in that. And so I just want to reaffirm this again to you. I did this a couple of times last week that we are not um, out to get something from you, but to get something for you. So we're not after your money. We're after your heart and it being free from the love of money. So I just want to affirm that to you, that that's what we're after. That's the purpose of this series. This is why we're teaching through it. I think this is why the Bible has so much to say about uh, money and possessions. It's because God really wants you free from greed and materialism and coveting. He wants you free from those things, right? And so in light of that, uh, we are in Luke 12. This is our second week in this set of sermons on gospel, greed, and generosity. Okay, so this passage that we're in this morning, has been for me over the last couple of months, the one that I feel like God has like put me in a dryer and turned the uh, heat on high and left me in there for a while. And this passage has been a lot of the means of God doing that in me. It has been both very uh, convicting for me and at the same time, very encouraging. And there's some of us in the room that are going to need, when it comes to finances, it is very, very, very difficult for you right now. And some of us need to hear some of the comforting parts of this passage. If you go down to Luke 30 or... uh, Chapter 12, verse 30, um, Jesus is telling us that you've got a good father who takes pleasure in meeting your needs. And some of us need to hear those sort of comforting words from God, that he is a good father. He's a faithful father who takes great pleasure in meeting you where where you have needs financially. And so um, some of us are going to need to hear that, but it's also very convicting. And I hope God will use this for your benefit like that, both convicting and comforting um, as we study over the next couple of weeks. It's going to take us a couple of weeks to, to get through it. And so um, the passage in Luke 13 or Luke 12 verse 13 starts out with a random question. So look at verse 13. It's, it's, it's out of nowhere. If you read it in context, Jesus is not talking about money. And all of a sudden this guy asks a question that goes like this. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So we've got some brothers in a dispute over an inheritance. That might sound familiar to some of us in the room, right? Now, this isn't a central issue in the passage, but it's a side issue that's worth pausing over for 60 seconds. Okay, now I want, every, especially, I want everyone to look at me here. This, this, is, this is important that you hear the next few minutes. Chances are you are going to die with some sort of possessions. Chances are. And if you decide to leave that to your family, sons and daughters chances are they are going to be in the exact same situation that we have in verse 13. A dispute about an inheritance. Chances are that's going to happen. And so I want to say one thing and then read a quote. If you're a man in here and you feel like it's, you may be dying soon, which is a lot of us, or you're a family here, you may be dying soon, you may be passing some stuff down. You need to buy Randy Alcorn's book called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. We'll have it out on the resource table next week. You need to read chapter nine on leaving an inheritance. You need to get it and read it. Because if you're not careful, you can destroy your family by giving your family things. 
So let me just read this one um, excerpt out of that chapter that will give you a taste of that and just impart maybe a little bit of wisdom from him into the, the situation. He says this, this will be on the screen for you, in regards to an inheritance. We should not transfer wealth to our children unless we successfully transferred wisdom to them. Now, do you hear that? If you have not given them wisdom, you're going to ruin them by giving them wealth. He goes on to say, without wisdom, wealth will not only be wasted, it will damage our children. And then he says this, 100% of the time, you give your children wealth without wisdom, you can take it to the bank, it's going to damage them. He, He goes on. I'll make a statement that may seem incredible, but I firmly believe it. If I were the devil and I wanted to ruin a group of Christians, I'd try to get their parents to leave them large amounts of money. That's how much I'm convinced of the dangers and temptations of unearned wealth. Wealth that just is given to a person. Everything I've learned over the years has convinced me that in most cases, children who inherit wealth will have been much better off if the money had been in a burn pile and torched. So I I just want to give you just just if that's all free, I hope you'll heed it, but it's all free. But I just want to make sure if that's you, you need to get that book. You need to read that. I think it would be some wise words for you to consider as it relates to that. But here's the issue. We've got an inheritance and we've got a brother, like a, a couple brothers here that are in a dispute about it. Okay, so so they have raised the issue of money and possessions. And I want you to to look at verse 14 and how Jesus responds to them. But Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? So essentially here, Jesus is just declaring and announcing what his purpose is. Like his purpose is not primarily to, to divide inheritances. That's not his deal. I love how Leon Morris, the commentator, says it. He says that, that Jesus is announcing that, that he has come to bring people to God, not property to people. So he's announcing what he's, what he's about. His purpose is to bring people to God. That, that's, that's what he's about. But I think it's interesting. I just want you to consider this. That in this request, we don't have all the details about it, but chances are there is some injustice going on here. Like chances are there is an issue with this one brother that, that has created the situation. Now, I, I want you just to think about this. You've got a question of money and possessions raised, a little, probably some injustice going on. And Jesus could have taken this conversation in a million different relevant ways. He could have talked about the golden rule. You need to treat other people like you have been treated. That would have been relevant. He could have talked about honesty. That would have been relevant to this situation. But as soon as money and possessions, that issue is raised up, Jesus... In, immediately takes it to the heart. He immediately takes it to what you think about money. He immediately takes it to what you believe about money and possessions. So I I just think this is interesting. He immediately goes to our heart in this natural tendency to make money a God, to to deify money. See, just like our, our man in this passage in verse 13, asking this question, we think our biggest money problems are that we don't have enough money. That's what we think our biggest money problems are. But I want you to notice here that Jesus thinks our biggest money problems is that we are so, we have this tendency that just leads us so strongly to make a God out of money. So he immediately starts addressing the heart. I heard one pastor just give the illustration that if, if you could sit down with Jesus for one hour of financial coaching, what you're not going to get from Jesus is his top 10 stock picks. What you're going to get from Jesus is an hour of poking and prodding and addressing your heart and what you believe about money and possessions, about your tendency to make money and possessions a God, about your tendency to look to money and possessions to give you what only God can give you. That, that, that's where Jesus is going to stay in this. 
Okay, keep coming down with me in verse 15. Jesus goes on. So, so he's, he's told him that I, I'm about bringing people to God. And then he says this, and he said to him, immediately takes it to money and possessions. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he, here comes a parable, a parable to illustrate his point. And he told them this parable. The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store up all my grain and my goods. None of that is necessarily bad. Okay, but, but then he goes on. This is what gets bad. Verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. So relax, eat, drink, be merry. Verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, you're a rich fool. This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? Verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Okay, so this passage, in this passage, Jesus is going to give us both a warning and and he's going to impart some wisdom to us. So first we're going to go with the warning. Jesus has got a warning in this passage. Look at verse 15 again. Here's the warning. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Okay, so first we've got to define greed. So when we start talking about greed, I'm looping greed, materialism, coveting. I'm looping all of those into the same category and we'll define it like this. It's an inordinate desire for money and material things. This is what greed is, materialism, covetousness. It's an inordinate desire for money and material things. It's a belief that what really matters in life is money and possessions. Like if, if you're really going to have life, like real life, if you're really going to get that, it requires you to have things. It requires you to have money. It's this belief that money and possessions is where your security lies, where satisfaction can be found, where significance can be had. That's what greed is. Now notice, like when we think greed, we primarily think an action. But, but, and it shows itself in an action, but greed always starts in the heart. It's what you think about money and possessions and what you think about God. Greed is the, is the heart that says, what I really need from life is contained in things. Okay, that's what greed is. That's what coveting is. Shows itself in a lot of different ways, but it's this belief that what, I, what makes life really life and good life is money and things. And so, so here's the thing for all of us in the room, power and prestige, security and satisfaction for all of us in the room, that those things are tied more tightly to money than many of us would like to think or like to admit power and prestige significance security is tied more tightly to money and possessions, homes and cars, what we wear, all of those things, size of our accounts. It's tied more tightly to those things that we would like to think about or care to admit. And this is why Jesus gives us the warning. Here's the warning. It goes like this. Guard against greed. That's the warning. That's the command. Take care. Guard against greed. Do you see it in verse 15? Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. That's beware. That's that's wake up. That's, That's look out. Listen. Guard yourself. Like that means you're proactively thinking about greed and you're proactively thinking about how to wage war and set up defenses against greed. Do you see that? That's an active pursuit. 
So, so let me just make it or put it in an illustration. If someone were to come to you and say, uh, police officer tonight stops at your house and, and they say, listen, we just got evidence that there is a group of violent criminals who are in our area. And, and we've just found evidence that they're going to be robbing homes in your neighborhood. It's, it could be starting anytime, probably this week it's happening. Now, what would you do if you found that out? I'll tell you what I would do. I'd call my brother. My brother has enough guns and ammunition to fund half of our military. So, so I would call him and I would say, Russell, I, I need you to bring down three of your rocket launchers, 19 of your pistols, 43 of your shotguns, and like three of your heat-seeking missiles. I need you to bring all that down. We could have a problem. Now, right? Now, I'm doing something. I'm going to be on guard. If somebody tells me somebody's breaking into my house tonight, I'm going to the baseball bat is coming out, right? Now, we're all going to be like that. If that police officer showed up tonight and that's you, you're going to be locking windows. You're going to be barricading. You're going to get ready for that. And isn't it ironic that we don't have this mindset when it comes to greed? I mean, ask yourself, is that how you think about greed in your life? Is that how you think about this potential in your heart to, to, to be seduced to thinking that money and possessions are going to really give you life? See, see we, don't, we don't think like this. Um, man, I don't know how many of you have had this moment uh, where, where this happens. You look, you're driving and you look over and your wife has a hold of the Ono bar. You know that Ono bar up in the, back, right up there by the passenger window? She's got a hold of the Ono bar and she's using the air brake. Y'all ever had that happen? Ono bar and air brake all at the same time. And you look over and you realize she's not saying anything, but you can tell she really wants to be screaming at the top of her lungs. Have y'all ever had that moment? That moment happens for me all the time, all the time. Um, my, my wife really does not think I'm a very good driver. I don't know how, how many men can relate to that, but she really doesn't. And, and can I just tell you, this is what I think. I think she's overreacting. I am compl- and I'll take some marriage counseling on this later, but I think she is totally overreacting to the situation. See, I, I all, like I used to be able to remind her about this all the time, that I'm the only one in our family who has not been in a wreck. That was until we were on a family vacation and I backed into a parked car, right? And so I, I was the one that, that never had the wreck. So, so I really think she's overreacting. Now, it's kind of interesting that a couple of weeks ago, I had Travis Wyckoff in my truck and we were driving to Mansfield. And I look over and lo and behold, he had the same look over there. Oh, no bar, air brake, the look of I'm screaming inside. He, he tried to tell me that I almost sideswiped an 18-wheeler. I don't buy it personally. But, 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 but something's starting to click that they could be onto something. There's enough people saying this that they might be onto something. But, but okay, now, now hear this. See, we had the exact same reaction to Jesus' teaching right here. Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Jesus, aren't you overreacting just a little bit? I mean, I, I think you, I, I know that it could be a problem for some, but aren't you overreacting just a little bit? I mean, I, I think you've taken this one step too far here. Like, be on your guard. Like, this is greed, right? Be, be, or be on, what are you talking about? Be on your, you're overreacting. And listen, can I just tell you this? If that's you, and this is all in love, if that's you, it's giving great evidence that you're just not very smart. It's giving great evidence that I am not very smart. You, you ask yourself the question, and like right now, am I on my guard against greed? 
You know what's ironic? I, I love to ask people at the beginning of the year, have, like, what are you praying God would do in you? What are you actively waging war against as far as the flesh goes in your life? What, what is that? I've never heard greed thrown out in that. See, from my observation, few people have that mindset. And it just shows how insane we are, that we don't see clearly, that we've got this fog that kind of clouds our vision as it relates to money and possessions. Jesus is saying, you need to take care. Like, that's you. That's not just me. That's not just the rich guy down the street. That's you need to take care because you have this tendency to start thinking that life is really found in money and possessions, that you have that tendency. Okay, so, so here's what I want to spend the bulk of our time on this morning. I want to give you nine reasons why this, that you need this warning. Nine reasons for this warning. And I had to whittle this down from like 14. We were almost here all afternoon. So nine warnings as to why, or nine reasons as to why this warning is given. Here's number one. <clears throat> the, the reason Jesus says, take care, be on your guard against greed, number one, is because of this. Greed is no respecter of persons. It's no respecter of persons. So greed doesn't care who you are or what you own. See, there's this common myth when it comes to greed that it's just the extremely wealthy who deal with it. But that's not true. See, you can be greedy and have a lot of things and be controlled by a lot of things that you have. Just like you can be poor and be controlled by all the things that you don't have but that you wish you had. See, greed is no respecter. It's not just an upper class problem. It's an every class problem. You can be a poor fool in this passage, or you can be a rich fool. You can be poor and greedy, or you can be rich and greedy. The issue is, are you controlled uh, when you think about money and possessions, by money and possessions? That, that's the issue. And in this passage, he says, it's against all kinds of greed, that's the NIV, or all forms of covetousness, that's the ESV. All forms. So he's saying that greed has a million faces on it. See, some of you in here, this is what greed looks like. Excessive spending. You're always spending. You've got debt out, out. You can't even think about all the debt you've got. You've got so much debt. See, you just spend all the time. You can't not spend. Every day you spend. You can't, if a new gadget comes out, you've got to have the new thing. If a, a new wardrobe comes out, you've got to get the new, you, you've always got to be spending, buying, purchasing, moving up, building bigger things. So, so it can look like excessive spending. But, but here's the other side of it. Do you know greed can also look like excessive savings? You don't have any debt. You've just got this huge stockpile in the bank that you're looking at for security and comfort. See, the issue is what are you looking at? You can be poor and be greedy, looking at money and possessions as if they'll give you life. And you can be the guy with the big bank account and be greedy, looking at that bank account for, for, for life, for real life. It's no respecter of persons. It's an every class problem. Number two. Second reason why Jesus says you need to be on guard against this. Number two is greed has a great blinding power. Greed has great blinding power. I, I told you this last week that uh, over the last month or so, I've asked five pastors representing 132 years of ministry. If any of them have ever had a person come into their office in, in the middle of all the intimate things people have confessed to them. Have they ever had a person confess that they are greedy, eaten up with greed? 132 years, that's a century and a, and a third. 132 years of pastoral ministry, not one of those pastors has had that confession happen. Welcome to the blinding power of greed. It's everyone else's problem, but our problem. And, and let me give you three reasons why greed has this blinding nature to it. Why it's kind of like um, pride. 
that the more you don't see pride in you, the more you don't see greed in you, the more likely it is to have taken root in you. Why that is. Here's three reasons why, why greed blinds. Number one, uh, first reason is how we compare ourselves to others. Have you noticed that when it comes to morality, you always compare yourself down? At least I'm not like that guy. But when it comes to greed, you always compare yourself up. Look how much more they have than I do. Look how much more they spend than I do. See, morality's down, greed is up. We said this last week, that all you need to convince yourself that you're not greedy is to know one person more greedy than you. All you need to convince yourself that you're not materialistic is to, be, is to see one person more materialistic than you. That's all you need, because you compare up. See, that's the problem with greed. It's always an upward comparison. Here, here's the second reason that, that greed blinds us. is luxuries quickly become necessities. See, when you start to make money, here's what starts to happen for most people. They start to buy things they used to not be able to afford. That they start to be able to go to different restaurants, eating new food. They start to, to be able to buy new things and experience new pleasures. And listen, can I just remind you of this? You were okay before you had any of them. You were okay before you had any of those luxuries. But, but if you're not careful over the course of a month, two months, a year, those luxuries that you're now enjoying have not, they're no longer luxuries. They have become necessities for you. Hence the reason that people in Texas have, have seats in their car that actually have a heater in it. That, that's in Texas where we have a 10 day winter and we've got heated seats. See, you see how quickly luxuries become necessities? You see, you see how that works in you? And let me run it again. You were just fine without them. Your car worked just fine to get you to point A to point B before you had any of that. Okay, let me, let me give you this kind of an interesting um, study by Juliette uh, Score. She's a professor of sociology at Boston College. And she wrote a book, a book um, kind of chronicling this study on how Americans... Um, relate to money called the overspent American. And in that, she said this, kind of a revealing part of her study. She surveyed homes in America that were making more than $100,000 a year. So combined income, more than $100,000 a year, those homes. And she asked those homes this question. Can you afford to buy everything you really need? $100,000 a year, can you afford to buy everything you really need? Two-thirds of those homes, 66% responded, no, we, we cannot buy everything we really need. Now, do you see how quickly luxuries become necessities? A third of the world lives on less than $3 a day, and we live in the wealthiest, we're the wealthiest people that have ever breathed air on this planet. And we think we're barely scraping by. Do you see that? Do you see how prone you are for that? To start turning luxuries into necessities that if you don't have them, life cannot go on. If you can't have them, it's no longer worth it. So get the credit card. You see how quick you are to that. And listen, you can buy luxury. I mean, it's not that you're in debt for it. You you may be able to buy it and afford them all. But you see how quickly luxuries become necessities. See, this is why greed blinds us. And here's one more reason. Is is greed, it's more subjective in nature. So see, if, if you were committing adultery and you're in the middle of the act of adultery, you don't wake up and ask this question. Am I committing adultery? You don't ask that because it's clear. There's like a line right there. It's black and it's white and you crossed it. It's a, it's a clear, it's, adultery is clear in that way. But see, greed is not. It's not a black and white issue. It's shades of gray. See, this is why it's so hard to tell. You can be eaten up with greed totally across the line, but yet be totally convinced that you are not eaten up with greed. Listen to Randy Alcorn address this. 
be on the screen for you. He says the hardest part of dealing with our materialism is that it has become so much a part of us. Like people who have lived in darkness for years, we have been removed from the light so long that we don't know how dark it really is. Like we just adjusted to it. Many of us have never known what it is not to be materialistic. Now let that sink in. Many of us have never known what it is not to be materialistic. He goes on. This is why we need so desperately to read the scriptures. If we were to gain God's perspective, even for a moment, and we're, look at, and we're to look at the way we go through life accumulating and hoarding and displaying our things, we would have the same feelings of horror and pity that any sane person has when he views people in an asylum endlessly beating their heads against the wall. See, here's our problem. When everyone is in the asylum, beating their heads against the wall, it doesn't look insane. It looks normal. Welcome to greed for all of us. It's interesting. I heard a guy quote John Stott, one of my favorite theologians. And John Stott said this as it relates to greed. He says, our blindness to materialism is similar to Western culture's blindness to the sin of slavery in the 18th and 19th century. Now, now let that let that settle in. Materialism is similar to the Western world's kind of view of slavery in the 18th and 19th century. He goes on to say, likely future generations, should they look back, will regard our day with the same perplexity. How could they not have seen it? Do you think there's a chance that when people look back over your life, three, four, five generations down the road, that they may look back and think, what in the heck were they thinking? Look at, look at how just excessive they were. Look at how they spent and how they hoarded and how they accumulated and how they built bigger barns. And what were they thinking? Do you think that could happen for you? I, mean, I, I think we're all really prone to that. I think there's a good chance for most of us that's going to happen. This is that blinding power of greed. Here's the third reason why Jesus says, take care, be on your guard. Here's reason number three is that greed can destroy our spiritual life, right? This is the great danger of greed. It has the capacity to absolutely destroy everything good. It has the capacity to absolutely destroy a love for God in you. It has that sort of capacity. I'm going to put a, a, a verse up on the screen for you. This is first Timothy six, nine and 10. And just listen to the words of Paul in, in um, first Timothy six. He says this, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, in the many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So he uses words like ruin and destruction, words like wandering away from the faith, words like piercing yourself with many pangs, all as the result of a love for money, money sickness, and an inordinate desire for money and material things. See, the, the problem is not money. Money is morally neutral. The problem is not God's lack of love for people who have money. God's got plenty of love for those people. The problem is that people who have money, people who are wealthy, they, they have so much to love, they just don't love God. That's the problem. That they wander away from God because they love their wealth more than they love God. 
See, this was the problem last week when we looked at the rich young ruler. He was so wealthy, he had so much to love in his wealth and riches that he couldn't say no to that and actually walk to God. See, he he loved his wealth so much that it caused him to wander away from Jesus and to pierce himself with many pinks to his ruin and destruction. And this is why it went on to say in, in Luke 18, 24 and 25, we saw this last week. How difficult is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? This is how difficult he gives the parable in verse 25 of Luke 18. Uh, it's as hard as a camel passing through the eye of a needle. That's how hard it is. And listen, that is applicable to us in the room. If you want to know how likely it is for you to, to, to wander away from Jesus because of your wealth, here it is. Can you fit a camel through the eye of a needle? No, that's how likely it is. That's how likely it is to spiritually ruin you. That's how likely it is in this passage, just like our man, this rich man, that we will be a rich fool, damned before God. Are you seeing the gravity of that? See, see, our man walked away because he had so much. See, and this is, this is why wealth is so hard for everyone in the room, because we all own a lot, primarily in this room, just across the board here. And see, the more you own, listen to this, the more you own, the more likely it is that you're going to walk away from Jesus when he tells you to walk away from everything you own. The more you own houses, cars, stuff, the more likely it is that you're going to walk away from Jesus when he tells you to walk away from everything you own. See, this this is why I'm so concerned for our church family with this issue. It's because we all own a lot. And I think it's really likely when that moment comes and Jesus says, I want, I want you to be rid of all of it, that we're going to choose it over him. See, money and possessions for the people in this room has some of the greatest potential to spiritually ruin you, to ruin your love for God, to numb you for the things of God. So, so, so he's saying, beware, you need to take heed of that. You need to, you need to, to be on guard against this. You need to set up some, some defenses against this. You need to wage war against this. And can I just remind you why God talks so much about money and possessions? Why he would say something like this, be on your guard against greed. Can I tell you why? Because he loves you. That's why he's a good father for you. And he doesn't want to see you spiritually ruined. Number four, fourth reason why he says be on guard is greed makes us forget about the eternal. Greed makes us forget about the eternal. Look at verse 19 in Luke 12. This is, this is the parable of our rich fool here. And the rich fool says this. And by the way, it wasn't a problem that he was rich. It wasn't a problem that his land produced well. Here was the problem. Verse 19 is when he starts saying this. And I will say to my soul, so you have ample goods laid up for many years. So relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, in this way, greed isn't just sinful. It's really stupid because it makes us think and and leverage all of our life for the here and now and totally forget about what's to come. It makes us totally forgetful about the fact that there is eternity that's looming on the horizon. That's forever for all of us. That's looming out there. See, the more you have, the more you're looking to it for life and meaning and satisfaction, the more you're banking on this life is all there is. It makes you forgetful. See, our man in this parable, he forgot the fact that life was short and unpredictable and that he could find himself before the sovereign king of the universe and judge of the universe at any moment. And it lured him to sleep. His eyes were so fixed on temporal things that he wasn't ready to stand before God. He he wasn't ready for for that moment before. He wasn't ready for that. Do you see how, do you see how 
Do you see how wealth and greed can lure you to sleep from the things that are most important? Lure you to to, to stop thinking about what's to come. And, And I think a lot of us need to look at this question in verse 20 and we need to probably be able to answer it. You see it in verse 20, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Can I give you the answer to that? Whose are they going to be? Not yours. Not yours. You're not taking any of them with you. I love the classic story when John D. Rockefeller, one of the richest men in history, died. His accountant was asked, how much did John leave? And his reply, just a classic. He left it all. That's how much he, that, that's how much he left. He left it all. And do you know you're going to leave it all? I love how one pastor said it, that there's no U-Hauls behind hearses. Do you know that? You're not taking anything with you. you it, it's not yours. That's, it, you know that. It's not yours. But can I also remind you where it's going to be? You know that 99% of the junk we buy is going to end up in a dump 50 years from now? You just need to take a drive to a landfill and look at it and think this. 99% of the stuff I'm buying is going right there in 50 years. There's seven ancient um, wonders uh, of the ancient world. Seven of them. You know how many of them you can still go look at today that's somewhat still put together? One of the seven. And you know, yours is probably not going to be one of those. The stuff you're accumulating, the stuff you're built, probably not going to last that long. See, this is the problem with everything earthly is it's temporal. It doesn't last. And listen, in this passage, Jesus is not saying you need to renounce all of your wealth. He's saying you need to relocate your wealth. You you need to actually be wealthy before God. See, rich people here don't win in the end. It's the people who are rich before God that win in the end. And you need to make sure your treasure is relocated to being rich before God. See, that's the point here. Greed makes us forget about the eternal. Number five says be on guard. Why is that? Because greed turns us inward. You notice in that parable, um, how many times the personal pronoun I and my are used? Nine times in a couple of verses, this guy is saying, it's mine and it's what I want to do. I and my. Nine times. See, this is the effect of greed. Greed makes us turn inward. See, he's asking all the wrong questions and coming to all the wrong conclusions. I mean, think about this. He's a farmer. Can he make his seed grow? Can he make it rain? See, you're very dependent upon some other things if you're a farmer. And he can't control, he's not a rainmaker. He can't make a seed grow. I don't care what sort of fertilizer he puts in the ground. He can't make the seed come out of the ground. Only God can do that. But he's asking all the wrong questions, coming to all the wrong conclusions. See, his questions are, what do I want to do with my money? The problem is it's not his money. The problem is it's God's stuff. And God has entrusted him with God's stuff. And so rather than asking himself, soul, what should I do? This is what I'm going to do. He should be saying, God, this is your stuff. What do you want to do? But you see, he, he's so preoccupied with his stuff that he can't see the world around him. See, this is what greed does. You become so preoccupied with your blueprints for bigger barns that you can't see anything else around you. So look at your last month. Does it, does it factor into your finances on giving to people, on being sacrificial and generous? And I, I'm just, from observation, most of us don't. See, because greed has turned us inward. It, it's made us where I and my is, is the motto of the day. Reason number six is greed distracts us from our primary purpose. 
Greed distracts us from our primary purpose. See, this is why Jesus says you need to be on guard. Because it's distracting. Greed, materialism, things. If you're not careful, they'll distract you from the most important things. Um, right now, Laura and I, we're just trying to teach our kids good theology. So we use the Westminster Catechism. We've got a book out on the resource table called um, Training Minds and, and Training, yeah, Training Hearts and, Teachings, and Teaching Minds. It's just a simple question and answer through the Westminster Catechism, question and answer on theology, and then it gives a week of devotions to follow each question. And so the first question in the Westminster Catechism is, uh, what is man's primary purpose? And if you're to go to, to Hannah or you're to go to Caleb and you're to ask, what is man's primary purpose? Um, they're going to say this, man's primary purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And they've got this little hand motion that goes with it, the whole thing. And so you go to them, you ask that question, they're going to tell you that. But do you know what greed and, and, and material things do for you? They present you with a million other priorities. See, here's what your primary purpose is. To know God, to love God, to enjoy God, to run after God, to pursue God, to find your life in God, and to be a part of extending the gospel, to be a part of building his church, to be a part of, of getting the gospel out in your neighborhood, to be, to be a part of all that. This is what you're made for. Do you know that? That is what you are made to do. But greed comes along and it offers all of these, these um, competing priorities in your life. Do you remember the, the parable in Luke 8, the parable of the soils? Do you remember that? Like the parable of the soils is used as a metaphor to, to walk us through how we are responding to the gospel, how people respond to the gospel. So the seed is the gospel and the seed's thrown out into four different sorts of soils. One soil, the good soil, it is the heart that, that gets the gospel, that believes the gospel, that is producing fruit in alignment with the gospel. That's the good soil. But, but this parable shows us that, that the good soil, like gospel actually landing in responsive hearts is a, is a, like doesn't happen very often. It's pretty seldom. So you've got other, the three other soils, these three other places that the seed lands that represents our hearts as we hear the gospel and respond to it. You, you've got the path and uh, it says the path, the devil comes and snatches the seed away really quickly. And for some of us, that's what happens. Our hearts are hard toward God, so hard that the, the word can't stick in us. The gospel can't stick in us. And the devil immediately comes and snatches it away. For others, it's rocky soil. There's just not depth of soil. And so the, the gospel comes in and it's planted in us. And, and man, it spr- we sprout great for a second. And then the sun comes out and we're scorched. As soon as, as, soon as it costs us something to follow Jesus, we're out. That, that's the soil that would represent the fair-weathered fan of Jesus. And then we have the uh, seed that's sown among the thorns. And do you remember how Jesus describes the seed that is, is thrown among the thorn? Now, listen to these words. It'll be on the screen for you in Luke eight fourteen. Jesus used this, uses this description. And as for what uh, fell among the thorns, the seed that's in the thorns, he says this. They are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. Do you know why I think a lot of us have not grown to maturity in this room? Is because we have been choked out by the weeds and the thorns, the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of this life. Greed. We've, we've been choked out by it. See, see, like our man in this, in this parable in, in Luke 12, he's just got competing He's got competing priorities. Rather than saying my life is about God and the extension of the gospel. No, it's not about that. For him, it's about relax, eat, drink, marry. For tomorrow we die, right? That's what it's about for him. It's about how can we acquire more things and pad our life with as many luxuries as possible. See, it's just competing priorities. 
See, this, this is why Jesus says, be on your guard. Because greed, materialism, things, they offer us with a million different things that compete against what we were made for. And see, American Christianity, if you want to know what marks the response to the gospel among American Christians, it is soil three. It is being choked out, never producing fruit because of the cares, riches, and pleasures of this world. And so let me just give you one practical play out and how this might work out. So let's just say you're going to buy a lake house. And for some in this room, it would be perfectly okay to buy a lake house. Let me be clear on this. The lake house isn't the issue. For some, it may be perfectly fine. For others, it would not be okay. But, but the issue is not the lake house. The issue is what comes along with the lake house, right? And, and so let's say you're going to buy a lake house. And I just want you to consider, like, again, and let me just make this clear. It's not a lake house. We could talk about a boat. We could talk about a piece of property. We could talk about a rental thing. We could talk about a country club membership. We could talk about whatever you're buying. Okay, so I'm just trying to make a point of what buying stuff does to us, the danger of it. So the issue is not the lake house. The issue is the danger of anything we're buying. See, the the problem with the lake house is as soon as you buy it, guess what? Now you've got to use it. I mean, you know, when you buy it, you've got to use it now. And and so let's just say you're the guy that buys the lake house. And now you you feel like you've got to use it since you bought it. And so now you miss one Sunday a month because you want to use your lake house. So so now you've effectively sidelined yourself from ministry and mission, from, from actually volunteering in preschool and serving from actually being a part of the life and breadth of your local church, you've actually forfeited getting probably to know some of your neighbors in the midst of that because you've got to go use something that you bought. And, and then when the summer hits, it's not just one month or one week a month. Now it's half the summer that you're out because you've actually got to use what you bought. And so now you're completely sidelined to the primary things that God wants you to do as you're using what you bought. See, here's what I'm trying. The lake house is not the issue. The issue is the tyranny of things. The issue is what comes along with it. The issue is that when you buy something, here's what comes along with what you buy. Energy and emotional investment and time into actually using that, upkeeping that. Do you see the problem? See, it's all these competing things now in your life that keep you distracted from the main thing in your life. That keep you sidelined from doing the primary things that God has called you to do. See, this is the danger. It's the tyranny of things. It's we have so much stuff, then we got to maintain all this stuff. And that takes time and that takes energy and that takes effort and emotional investment. It takes all of that to go along with it. See, th- this, is what, th- this is why Jesus says you need to be on guard against this thing. I've created you for one primary thing. So don't be spreading yourself so thin that you get sidelined from the primary. This is why he said be, be on your guard against greed. Number seven. Greed is enslaving. This is why he says, be on your guard. You need to take care because greed is enslaving. Consumerism is really the mark of our day. And and consumerism is is buying things you don't need. Oftentimes with money that you don't have. It can't be. Some of you buy it with money that you do have. Some some of us, not you, some of us buy it with money that we have. And some of us buy it with money that we don't have. But consumerism is the mark of our day, right? And, And greed, if you want to see greed easily displayed in behavior, consumerism is probably the easiest evidence of a greedy heart. Right. And so let me just read this statistic to you. Since 1945, consumer debt in the U.S. has multiplied 31 times. Over the last roughly 60 years, multiplied 31 times in 60 years. Now, some of you, you have debt right now because um, your wife's car broke down and you were going to help your wife in her broken down car when your car spontaneously combusted out of nowhere. 
I mean, just disintegrated. Like you just didn't have a car anymore. And right. So, so some of you, it's just life has happened and that's led to it. Okay. So, so that's a different category, but, but the problem is most of us, that's not our issue. Our issue is that we wanted things because we felt like those things would give us something, give us life, what life really is. And so we bought those things regardless of if we could afford them. We bought those things regardless of whether or not we, we needed them. So that, that's why most of us in, are, have consumer debt. And listen, can you see that consumer debt equals greed? That the reason you have consumer debt is because your heart is looking to things to satisfy it, for security, for significance. That's why you have it. So, so a couple more statistics. 1996, the USA Today, uh, USA Today claimed that the average, average American household hold owed $4,000 in credit card debt. $4,000 per household. The average American family devotes one-fourth of its spendable income to outstanding debts. The IRS calculates that the average filer spends 10 times more paying off interest on debts than he gives to charitable causes. So I just want you to equate here. Do you see how enslaving debt can become and greed can become? See, when we start to look for things to give us life and meaning and satisfaction, then we start to acquire them regardless of what it costs. And here's what we soon find out. That that greed, although it promises to be a great lover, is really a fickle lover that always, in the end, ends up turning on us and attempts to take our life. Always. It always goes there. It's enslaving in that way. Number eight. Reasons why he says greed, you've got to be on guard against this. Number eight, greed fosters immorality. I think this is really interesting. A guy named David uh, Neff uh, in a Christianity, Christianity Today article called Drunk on Money says this. Motives having to do with money or sex account for 99% of the crimes committed in the U.S. Sex and money, 99% of the crimes, deal with that. And then he goes on to say that, that of those, when you divide those two out, four times as many happen because of money than sex. So most immorality, most things, most illegal and probably legal stuff. I mean, that shouldn't be all, all you can see how greed is this primary motivator behind that. See, when you are sick on money, when you're looking to greed to fill and to satisfy and to give you significance and security, here's what you'll do. You'll sacrifice the most important things to get more of money and unimportant thing. When your money's sick, you'll sacrifice the most important things to get more of money and unimportant thing. So see, some of you right now, you're sacrificing your family, the most important thing, to, for an unimportant thing, money. Some of you are sacrificing your integrity, your reputation. You're sacrificing more important things for, for lesser things, money. See, this is a tendency of the greedy heart. And number nine, reasons why he says to take care, be on your guard, is because greed is idolatry. And therefore offensive to God. Now, now let this passage in Ephesians 5 sober you. This is Ephesians 5, 5. And just listen to this. Paul says this. For you may be sure of this, that anyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, greedy, materialistic. And then he defines what that is. He says that is an idolater. So saying if you're coveting, if you're a coveter, if you're covetous, 
If that's you, if you're greedy, materialistic, that means you've got idolatry rampant in your heart, he's saying here. And then he gives this sober warning. If, if you're that, if you're greedy, you're covetous, you're an idolater, you're sexually, all of that, if you're, if you're those things, he says they, those people have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now let that sober you to how serious God takes your dealings with money and possessions, how serious God is about greed. See, greed is offensive to God because greed says this, God, I will not look to you for significance and satisfaction and security, all of those things you promise, I will not look to you for those. Instead, I'm going to look to my bank account, to what I'm stockpiling for my security. Instead of looking to you for satisfaction, I'm going to look to a new wardrobe for it. Instead of looking for you, uh, for my security, I'm going to make sure that I have retirement set with much more than I'd ever need. See, this is why it's so offensive to God, because God is saying, no, I will give you all that your heart longs for, I'll give you all of that. But greed says, no, you won't. You are lying, God. This is what's true. See, that's why it's so offensive to God. That's why it offends the heart of God, because it's idolatry. It's it's deifying money. It's looking to money for things that only God can give you. Okay, and we'll finish with the warning. The warning goes like this. I'm sorry, the wisdom goes like this. Look at verse 15. And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Here's why. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. If there's one hope I have for you and for me and for us, it's that this would be written on the deepest parts of our soul. Now, look at me here. Your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Do you know that? Your life does not consist in how nice your house is. Your life does not consist in how nice your car is. Your life does not consist in what you wear and how nice your clothes are. Your life does not consist in how big your bank account is. And and that Greek word for life there, there's two Greek words for life. One is bios. uh, Bios is going to be the study of life and what makes life work. Uh, But this is Zoe. This is the essence of life. What makes life real life? He's saying money and possessions don't make life real life. They promise that they will, but they don't. What makes life, the essence of life, what what makes it is God. It doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. It doesn't matter what you own. They will not contribute to the essence of your life. Have a big house, have a small one. Have a lot of stuff, don't have a lot of stuff. Have a big bank account, don't have a big bank account. It will not contribute to the essence of your life. See, and this is the ironic implication of this passage. Is in, in implication, Jesus is saying this. Do you, do you know what will contribute to the essence of your life? Do you know what will make the essence of your life? It's not money and possessions. You know what it is? It's me, the giver of life. So see, rather than looking for life and money and possessions, here's what you need to do. You need to look at me for money or for for security and significance and for life, what makes up real life. You need to actually look at me for that. See, this is the paradox of the Christian life. Jesus here is saying, you've got to get your hands up free from the love of money. You've got to open up your hands and live with everything open before me. You can have it. You cannot have it. And see, for some of us, this is going to feel like it's going to kill us. It's going to take our life. And Jesus is saying, but listen, you do that and you'll actually get it. See, this is the paradox. You start living with an open hand, you get life. You clench your fists around the things that you have, and it's going to require and take your life from you. You're going to be the rich fool. See, this is the paradox. You live open-handed, it's going to feel like your life is fleeting, going, it's gone. And Jesus is saying, but you're actually going to get it. Can I just say, uh, this is what I'm praying for you and I is that we would be looking to Jesus for life rather than money and possessions. 
open-handed so that we could actually get the life God offers. Amen? Let's pray. Let me give you a second just to sit under that and allow the Spirit of God to imprint the things that would be helpful for you and to wipe away the things that wouldn't. I mean, just as maybe some encouragement, if you're a home group leader in your home group, this might be a great question for you to think about. What would it look like for you to be on guard against greed, against covetousness? What what does that look like for you? How how do you wage war? What does it look like for you to lock the window and polish off the baseball bat when it comes to greed? And can I ask you the question? Do you think it might be that the, the reason you're not growing and producing mature fruit is because the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life are choking you out? Just distracting you from what's central and what's primary? So here's how we'll end it today. Um, the guys are going to sing um, several songs and we're going to get to respond in worship with those songs. We're going to have some home group leaders um, around the room, on the sides of the room, to be able to pray with you. If you've got something that relates to what you've heard this morning and what the Spirit of God's doing in you this morning, or maybe it's a um, thing that's not related, just life that's happening that you need to be prayed over, they would love and we would love to serve you that way. I'll be down on the front left. I'd love to, to be able to pray over you in that way. And so with these home group leaders. But we're going to invite you to respond to God, whatever that looks like today, for you to respond to God and what you've heard. So God, we, we love you. And God, we, uh, we pray that you would, you would free us from the love of money. God, we pray, we pray that you'd give us good clarity and clear thinking when it comes to this. And God, that you would help us be on guard and to take care and to wake up when it comes to this issue. And so God, by your grace, pray that you would do that. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. What you stand Thank up. you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.